Okay, so we're in this series called A Summer in Rome, and we've been looking at Romans. Today we're going to be in Romans 3. If you have your Bibles, that's where you want to be. Um, if you don't have a Bible, and I, I mean to say this every week and I forget, we have some free ones out. If you go out and to the right and to the right, there's a little corner in there, and there's free Bibles. If you need one, take them. Uh, they're there for you. Romans 3. Today we're talking about the fact that um, the news about you is worse than you think. In fact, it's not just worse, it's way worse than you think. And I don't know if you've ever had an experience where you got news and it was worse than you think, but let me tell you for us. Um, at one time, I had um, three daughters, well, I have five, four daughters, but one time I had three daughters who were driving. In fact, I still do. Um, let me, uh, I had a fleet of cars running, and that's what I want you to know. I had mine, my wife's, and then three others, five cars. That constitutes a fleet. And so... Uh, my oldest daughter, Amaris, she was probably a junior in college at this time. Uh, she has, um, I forget what she owned at the time or what I owned that she was driving at the time. But anyway, she went, drove from college to something and then she was driving back and her car stopped. And so she calls me, it's about 11 o'clock at night. It's, I think it was Saturday night, by the way, because I'm kind of thinking about church at that point. And she said, Daddy, my car stopped. So we figured out how to get it towed back home. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's a battery, it's a spark plug, you know, I don't know, it's, it's not, it can't be, how bad can it be? You know, it just stopped, a car stopped. So she had it towed to a mechanic friend of mine who calls me on Monday. And he said, well, I went out to look at her car and I pulled out the dipstick and there's no oil there. Oh, you know what that means, Okay. See, I'm thinking to myself, well, put some oil in it, dude. Uh, you know, I mean, just put oil in there. And he said, no, it's seized up. And I'm like, well, put some non-seizing oil in there. Spray it down. Go to Walmart. I'm sure they've got a five-gallon bucket or something that you can put on there to fix it. And <laughs> he said, the engine is ruined. I'm like, well, that's not good. So then he gives me the price of a new engine, and that was really not good. I said, you can't fix that? I mean, you're a mechanic. You call yourself a mechanic, and you can't fix a seized engine? I mean, how, how could you even call? So anyway, basically, the, the story was the engine was going to cost more than the car was worth. So it wasn't bad news. It was horrible news. I got to purchase a new car because this particular car is now... A giant boat anchor. It is worth nothing, basically. I just put new tires. I mean, it just made me so mad. The news was way worse than I thought. Okay, so we're today we're going to talk about something, and it's way worse than you thought. We're going to talk about sin. And it's a word we don't use very much anymore because it it's really sort of weighty. I, I mean, sin is a word that we we kind of, we don't even use it in our in our vocabulary much because it has such weight to it. Like if my kids do something wrong, I don't say to my children, you've sinned against your mother and me. It's, that's just too weighty a word. How, how would you feel if you did something at work and your boss said, you sinned against the company? You'd say, take this job. Anyway, uh, uh, I know what you'd say. Um, if the state police officer pulls you over for speeding, I don't know what that feels like, but I know some of you do. If, if you know what that feels like, he doesn't come to the window 
and say, you sinned against South Carolina and the speed limit. You just don't. If you get a, a letter from the IRS about your taxes, there's going to be a lot of big words in there. They're not going to use the word sin because it, it's weighty. It's way weightier than just I made a mistake or you committed a, uh, a little bit of an infraction. See, the deal with the word sin is when I think of sin, I think of judgment. Because sin implies that there's a moral law out there that I've broken. And if I've broken a law, a moral law of, of some entity, some deity, then there's judgment involved. And if there's judgment involved, then that implies that I need to ask for forgiveness. I, I'm going to show you that this makes sense from the dictionary. Look at this. Sin by definition, is a transgression of what? Divine law. Not, not just law. Uh, it's not you broke a rule. Sin is a transgression of divine law. It's any act regarded as a willful or deliberate violation of some religious or moral principle. See, it, it's, it's willful. I knew it was wrong and I did it anyway. That, that's what... Sin is. Now, churches talk about sin. We, we're supposed to talk about sin. This is our job. And I know I've talked about this before, but um, as if I go to the doctor with a cough, and it's not just a cold, it's cancer, I need him to tell me the truth. I don't want him to spare my feelings. Oh, it's not that bad. It's really bad. I need you to know the truth. And so sin is the reality of who we are. Now, we don't particularly like this word, so we came up with a better word. I love Andy Stanley explains this. We chose the word mistake. I'm not a sinner. I'm a mistaker. Much better. Uh, look at the definition of mistake. An error in action. An error of calculation. Uh, an error in opinion. Uh, or a judgment caused by poor reasoning. I just wasn't thinking straight. Yeah, I, I made a mistake. And with the mistake, you don't have to ask forgiveness. All you have to say is, my bad. A police officer pulls you over. Dude, my bad. I, I, I miscalculated how fast I was going. My speedometer uh, was uh, uncalibrated or something. I mean, you come up with stuff. I know you come up with stuff. So, um, so I made a mistake. Nobody's perfect. See, mistake is a much better word. I, I'm not a sinner. I'm a mistaker. Then there's another category altogether. This is called the denier. And we see this, if you have your Bibles, we're in uh, Romans 1. Go back a couple of chapters. Cool verse, cool couple of verses. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. They kind of denied He existed. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Creating God in our own image, it's called. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, instead they became utter fools. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth of God for a lie. Now, at best, deniers say what the Bible says has been misinterpreted. It's, uh, it's different now. We know more, so we can, it's called progressive revelation. Now that I know, now that we know more, we can reinterpret the Bible. And that's at best. At first, it's God to me. There's no God. And if there was a God, certainly 
not the boss of me. But there were three kind of haunting expressions in those verses. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God is like. Their minds became dark and confused. They traded the truth about God for a lie. Now, you'll recall, we talked about this earlier. Rome was a very promiscuous, secular place into which God places a church, into which Paul writes a letter. Now, Paul basically in this letter to Rome is saying there's only one God, and it is not Caesar. Now, in Rome, you worshipped Caesar or you didn't work. You were blackballed. You worshipped Caesar or you didn't live. I mean, it was a big deal for Paul to speak the truth into a culture that simply did not believe the truth. They, they said there are many gods, uh, that uh, there are lots of ways to worship gods, that promiscuity is one of the ways that pleases God. I mean, it was just, it was kind of a wild place. It was Las Vegas on steroids. I mean, it was a pretty bad place. In Romans 10, it says, as the scriptures say, I mean, th- this is, this is, the news is bad. This is like bad news, good news today. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you the bad news first. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is really seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. They have no fear of God at all. I mean, you read those verses in the first part of chapter 3, and the news is really bad. Now, Talking about sin is pretty offensive. And we live in a, a, a society now that the worst offense is to offend somebody. But what if the truth is offensive? That's the problem. And then this is the one we all know. I mean, you don't have to be around church much to know this verse. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Who does that include? Look to the person to your right. It includes them. Look to the person to your left. It includes them. Don't look up here. Uh, All have sinned. Everyone. That's everybody. I mean, it's just pretty plain. Uh, That's an easy word to translate. Everyone has sinned. So the translation is basically, it's way worse than you think. We, we, We get this notion that if I'm living right or if I'm Maybe I can please God in a certain way. If I do the right things, if I give to charity, if I help little old ladies cross the street, if I save puppies from the pound, then God will be pleased with me. I can do good things in order to win God's favor. This verse says, not so much. Not so much. It's way worse than you think. Now, that's why we like mistake better than sin. That's why we deny sin, because, man, if I'm just a mistake, if I make a mistake, let's say I come to your house, and I'm, I'm um, looking at all your nice things, and I uh, accidentally knock a vase off of your, oh, I'm sorry, a vase, off of your mantle, and it breaks. Now, if I knock a vase off of your mantle and it breaks, there's going to be, I'll pay you for it, but I don't have to pay you like ten times. More, I, you're not going to send me to jail. I mean, it's a mistake. Sin is is much deeper. But we like mistaker. So we'll hear things like, you know, 
yeah, honey, you caught me with him. Uh, yeah, honey, I've been texting her. But, 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 um, it was just a mistake. Can't we just move on? Uh, it was just a mistake. I mean, I didn't really mean it, but it's just a mistake. Or, if I'm a denier, I would say, well, so? Who are you to tell me what to do? That's why sin is just, just this whole different category because here's the truth if i'm a mistaker i just have to do better and if i'm a denier i just have to enlighten you that you're not as smart as me that's the stuff that he was talking about in chapter one they became deluded like they have this notion about god that really isn't a notion about god but the big idea is the problem is if i'm a sinner i need a savior and and this is the crux of scripture we're not just mistakers and we're not misinterpreting the truth of the matter is we are sinners in need of a savior see the the problem with thinking i'm just a mistaker or the problem with denial is that internally i know better i I know better I feel it differently. I mean, when I do wrong things, when I know that it's wrong, I don't care if I I call it a mistake or I say it's not really that bad. I can tell myself that stuff, but deep inside, I know better. And there's this internal stuff that you have, like jealousy. Think about jealousy for a minute. Um, Ladies, maybe somebody comes in and they are just striking. I mean, they're just beautiful that day, and, and you say, Oh, you, you look so good, but inside you're, you're, you're thinking to yourself, I hope when she goes to the bathroom her dress gets caught in her pantyhose. I mean, um, we think that stuff, right? Or the guy gets a promotion and you say, you clap, golf clap, because you're not that excited. You golf clap, and inside you're praying he trips on the way up to get the trophy. I mean, we, or somebody gets in trouble at work and to their face you say, oh, dude, I'm sorry about that. But inside you're saying, your problem is going to make me look better. What? That's not even stuff you do. That's just stuff you think. I mean, it's that goopy little horrible stuff that you know better than to do. And then there's guilt. Oh, guilt. That guilt is... Uh, guilt is... Is when you know it's wrong. And, and the thing about deniers, I, I like deniers because what they want to do is they want to, it, it can't just be, um, let's agree to disagree. You have to agree with me. If you don't agree with me, then uh, we're, we're just going to be fighting all the time. And, and Shakespeare put it this way The lady doth protest me thinks too much. I, I'm all into Shakespeare, and that's why I know that. Uh, Bill and Billy uh, Shakespeare and me are buds. Uh, uh, l- let me tell you how my, my hillbilly granddaddy put it. Uh, when you throw a rock in a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one you hit. Uh, oh, that connected better with you. Okay, okay. I'll stay with hillbilly. So sometimes we protest about things, and then the guilt gets it to us, and then you'll hear people say stuff like, well, I was raised Catholic, and we were taught to be uh, you know, guilty about everything. Well, just so you know, I was raised Baptist, and we were taught to be guilty about everything, too. But we know it's more than upbringing. There's something, there's an internal piece of us that says, I can and I can try to belittle you, and I can call you names, or, or I can just call 
mistake. But I know better. See, that's the reason that Scripture has to inform our opinion of us. Not our peers or our culture or even ourselves. Because it just doesn't work. And then Jesus comes along. Oh, my word. Jesus comes along and he raises the bar. So some people think, okay, Jesus came along and he, he just preached about love. He was just all about the love, man. Really? I mean, read the Sermon on the Mount. It wasn't all about the love. I'll show you. I'll show you. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses. Uh, there's the law in the Old Testament. He said, hey, 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 wait a minute, wait. I didn't come to abolish it. Uh, I came to accomplish it. I came to show you what it really means. Um, see, funny thing about the law. There are three types of law in the Old Testament. There's ceremonial law. That's stuff like you couldn't eat pork. I hate that rule. Anybody love bacon? All right, mostly, mostly Americans and some communists. Okay, great. All right, good. Um, ceremonial law said this is stuff you couldn't do or it would make you unclean in worship. Uh, there were cultural laws. Uh, <laughs> there was one cultural law in the, in the Old Testament that said, if your son uh, is belligerent toward his dad, you could stone him to death. I am so glad that law doesn't apply anymore. Because a long time ago. And honestly, I don't know how any Jewish boys ever made it out. Uh, you know, because we were all kind of belligerent to our dads at one point. And then there are moral laws. The Ten Commandments. Moral laws. Now, the moral laws didn't go away. Um, ceremonial laws, we saw that go away when Jesus gave the vision to Peter and he dropped this cloth that had all these things to eat on it that were ceremonially unclean. And Jesus said, take and eat. The vision said, take and eat. See, it's the ceremonial laws we, we don't adhere to. We don't have to. They're not, uh, they're not applicable to us. And the cultural laws, that was their culture. It's not our culture. Jesus didn't come to do away with the moral laws. And by the way, those things were never even equal. Uh, it, it was never equal. So the moral laws are still in place. And Jesus just raises the bar. He said, don't misunderstand this. And then he, he's in this Sermon on the Mount. You, you should read it sometime. Matthew 5 through 7. He, he gives a Sermon on the Mount. And he says, hey, look at these guys. I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness... Uh, of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you'll never enter heaven. And everybody in the crowd would have gone, ah, because the religious teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they were good like, they were good on steroids. They made sure they tithed perfectly. They made sure they prayed every time they were supposed to pray. They made sure they did everything perfectly. They were trying to win God's favor. And Jesus pointed to these guys in the edge of the crowd, because they wouldn't have been in the crowd because they couldn't mingle with you know, the, the common people. But he would point to those kind of religious divas, and he said, their righteousness, you've got to be better than that. That's bad news. Because everybody there would have gone, well, they spend every hour of every day trying to be good. Well, I got a job. I got kids. I'm never going to get there. And then Jesus makes it worse. You've heard that it was said, uh, your ancestors told you, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. I say, don't even get angry with someone. 
I'm not making it easier. I'm making it harder. You, you've heard it said, so don't murder. That's, in, that's one of the big ten, by the way. Don't kill. I'm saying, don't even get angry. And they're like, what? Oh, and it gets worse. He does more. You've heard the commandment says, don't commit adultery. But I think anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her. Like, oh. And every man would have groaned when he said that. And the Pharisees would have said, because Jesus is saying, it's it's not just that you do the act, it's that you think about it. That's not lowering the bar, it's making it worse. He said, you've heard that the law says love uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And the crowd would have been stunned would have said just to themselves it's ridiculous you're equating murder with just having anger and you're you're equating adultery with just thinking about it and you're equating uh, you're equating um you're you're telling me that i I can't hate bad people i've got not not only to love my enemy but i've got to pray for them see it's way worse than you thought we're thinking, okay, we can just live a good moral life. Yeah, not so much. Jesus gave them really bad news. He, it's the same news for us. Um, it's, it's bad news. Sin is real. And sin is probably worse than you thought. But basically, Jesus said, you're worse than you thought, and God loves you more than you can imagine. That's the good news. Bad news is, you've got a disease, and it's called sin, and everybody has it, and I don't care what you call it, it's still sin. We all have it, we're all infected, we all have it. Bad news, you're a sinner. Good news, God loves you anyway. And his audience would have said, well, which is it? It can't be both. And Jesus is like, yep. You're worse than you thought. The standard's higher than you thought. Nobody's getting in on their own accomplishment. But God. Bad news is you're a sinner. You're, you're infected with the, the disease of sin. Bad news. Good news is there's a cure. And it's free. Now that's good news. Because there ain't much free in life. And the sooner you and I embrace our sinfulness, the sooner we're candidates for God's grace. I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. And you're probably saying, oh, preacher, you're, you're pretty good. Well, it's true. Uh, I'm, I'm exceptionally good. But still, I'm not good enough. And you're not good enough. We're just not. We have to get to a place where we say, okay, the diagnosis is true. I am a sinner who needs a cure. And the cure is a Savior. We we all need it. So let's go back just for a second. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Bad news. 
Very next verse, look at this. Yet, <laughs> yet. That, that's like, that's light at the end of the tunnel. Yet. That, that is hope in a hopeless situation. Yet, God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. The coolest thing about Jesus is that the really super righteous people, the, the righteous divas of his day, hated his guts. The sinners of his day, the people that were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. Because he told them the truth. And he told them the truth in love. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. And God has provided the Savior in his grace. And the Savior is me. And then it gets better. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. And the sin that you have and the sin that I have, Jesus went to the cross to take it away. Isn't that good news? I mean, not only is it good news, that's great news. Because bad news, you got disease. Good news, there's a cure. Better news, it's free. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Max Licato has a book called The Cure for a Common Life. And he writes this story I wanted to read to you as we close. The bank sent me an overdraft notice on the checking account of one of my daughters. <laughs> uh, I don't know what that feels like. Um, I encourage my college-age girls to monitor their accounts. Even so, they sometimes overspend. What should I do? Send her an angry letter? Admonish, uh, ad- admonish, uh, admonition might help her later, but it won't satisfy the bank. Phone and tell her to make a deposit. Might as well tell a fish to fly. Liquidity, it's zero. Transfer the money from my account to hers seems to be the best option. After all, I have $23.37. I can replenish her account and pay the overdraft fee as well. Since she calls me dad, I did what dads do. I covered my daughter's mistake. When I told her she was overdrawn, she said she was sorry, and still she offered no deposits. She couldn't. She was broke. She had one option. Daddy, could you... And I interrupted. I already have. And he says, I met her need before she even knew she had one. In the same way, God knew we were going to have a need. We were going to have a disease called sin. Before we knew it, he knew it. And he made a way. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. Not for our mistakes, 
not for our misinterpretation, for our sins. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. So the question is, have you ever come to grips with the fact that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? And if so, have you ever done this? Have you ever been made right with God by believing that Jesus gave his life for you? It it is... The most important question you'll ever ask and answer for yourself. There are lots of distractions right now. I mean, there's a million things going on. The most pertinent question for you is, do you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and have you freely accepted the Savior that's been offered? Because that's the question that we all have to ask and answer. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take up an offering. And after the service is over, Mark at the end is going to close us. After the service is over, I'm going to stand right over there. And if this is a question you've never asked or answered, or you just need some clarification, the worst decision you could ever make is to walk out these doors and not ask and answer that question. Do you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and have you accepted the Savior that's been offered. The most important question you will ever ask and answer, and you're having the opportunity today. After the service is over, when we close, when Mark prays and we say amen, I'm going to be right there. I'm going to have my mic on. We can have a private conversation. If that's comfortable, then write on the back of your little response card, Pastor, I'd love to talk to you this week. Send me an email. Let me know. There's nothing more important in the world than that. Father, we thank you for this message. Thank you that Paul was so bold to speak truth into a culture that didn't want to hear it, that denied it, that excused it. But Father, we thank you that you provided for us what we could not provide for ourselves. And I ask that we might soberly think about what we've heard today. We pray it in Jesus' name.